My name is Danielle Taylor. I'm a solicitor in the Family Law Department at Paris Smith, based in our Winchester office. And today we'll be talking about the common law spouse and cohabitation. Cohabiting couples are currently the fastest growing family type in England and Wales. There are approximately 3.3 million opposite sex cohabiting couples in England and Wales at present. It's almost double how many there were 15 years ago. People are very often not aware of their legal rights or status. There are many myths surrounding cohabiting couples, in particular the common law spouse. People believe that if they live together for a period of qualifying time, for example two or five years, that they attain the same status as a married couple. It isn't right and actually it's so far from the truth. Part of the problem can be found in the definitions within the legislation. So legislation that is in place for a number of different reasons, such as for child maintenance or inheritance claims, refer to people as living together as a married couple. They refer to people as like a husband and wife. But this isn't reflective of the rights or status that they have. Effectively, it just describes the closeness of the relationship and the ability to make an application, not the rights that they have being an equivalent to a married couple. Cohabitants can come in all shapes and sizes. You don't have to be in a personal relationship to be a cohabitant. There are many difficulties in getting on the property ladder and people often group together in order to be able to purchase a property or afford the rent. You can live together as relatives, colleagues or friends. These can all be cohabitants and not necessarily a common law spouse for obvious reasons. However, when you're in a personal relationship and it does break down as a cohabitant, you may be surprised to know that you don't have the same ability to make applications as a married couple. Dealing with properties that are co-owned are largely governed by the Trust of Land and Appointment of Trustees Act 1996. Effectively, it's a civil claim rather than a strictly family claim. It's governed by civil procedure rules and can be much more technical in nature than the claims on, say, a divorce. There are a number of risks involved in dealing with civil claims and there can be cost penalties in particular. It is important to have some proper legal advice on these technical points and cases vary from family to family. Cohabiting couples can make big life choices together. They'll decide who is the breadwinner, who is the homemaker. They may decide how they invest their money, how they bring up their children together. However, that doesn't mean that assets can be split in the same way as they can upon a divorce. The court does not have jurisdiction to make spousal maintenance or to divide financial assets that do not belong jointly to the parties, either in equity or in law. Resolution is an organisation of family lawyers and other family law professionals. They are petitioning the government to try and get some more clarity around the area and protections for cohabitants. Where there are children involved, cohabitants are also able to make applications under Schedule 1 of the Children Act 1989. That can include capital provision or periodical payments for the benefit of children. 
So effectively, whilst you may be able to get some financial support for a child, this is obviously only available if there is a child of the family and is not available to a number of cohabiting couples who choose not to have children or don't have children for various reasons. Child maintenance will also be payable by the non-resident parent to the resident parent. This is governed by the Child Maintenance Service. Largely, it's best if couples can agree the level of child maintenance without going through the child maintenance service and doing an online calculation can assist you with this. So what can cohabitants do to protect themselves under the current legal structure? Well, the first thing is you can make decisions and have discussions with the other person before purchasing a property or before moving in together. It can be quite difficult to untangle things once you have invested in a property together and there can be misunderstandings amongst parties as to exactly what you both intended at the point at which you moved in together. In the first instance, it's a good idea for you to both sit down and discuss matters before making any considerable financial investment. What do you both intend in terms of the property being held? Are you going to hold it jointly? Is it going to go into one party's sole name for a particular reason? How is the property going to be funded? And how would sale proceeds be divided if your relationship broke down? Secondly, you might want to seek legal advice. You may not be aware of the implications of some of the decisions that you might want to make or the impact that certain documents may have in the future. Especially if you are paying a substantial deposit or if you are investing in a property but for some reason are not being named on the title, you really should take advice as to what your position is going to be and how that should be protected by way of documents. It's also important to make sure that you're consistent in your approach. Whilst you as parties might agree something in the background, it is important that third parties, such as your mortgage lender, are clued in on what this is. This is important because it reduces the likelihood of them suggesting that you're being inconsistent or in any way dishonest. Thirdly, and finally, ensure that all of your agreements are properly documented. It's important to have a record of everything that's agreed between you. It also stops any dispute down the line about your intentions or any difficulties when selling the property in due course. It may be that you cohabit for a very long period and you may not be able to remember exactly what was said between you at the time. Entering into a formal legal document will give you a default position. If it's a declaration of trust or a cohabitation agreement executed by way of a deed, it can only be amended by way of a further deed. These documents would almost certainly be upheld by the court except in cases of mistake or fraud. Such documents can be entered into by any cohabitants and you don't have to be in a personal relationship to enter into one. Having clear documentation prevents any misunderstandings between you or reliance on imperfect memories. Living together agreements or cohabitation agreements in particular can deal with more than just how the property is held. They can deal with how you're going to manage your finances, who's going to pay for what, and prevent any awkward conversations down the road. It can be very good for a relationship to have these conversations early on and before you both commit financially. So in conclusion, there are three things you should look at when looking to move in together. The first one is make decisions and have discussions with the other person before moving in. The second is to seek advice to make sure that you're both on the same page and that you are protected. And the third is to ensure that once you've come to an agreement as to how things are going to be dealt with, you formalise them in a document. 
Thank you for listening. I am Danielle Taylor and if you have any further questions on cohabiting, living together, moving in or separation, then please contact me. My details can be found on the Paris Smith website.